This week, we'll learn about a software company that has solved some problems for local restaurants and has set its sights on the world. Plus, we'll talk about some other moves on the food innovation front. Hi, I'm Karen Unland. And I'm Faiza Ramji. And this is Bloom, the podcast about innovation in Edmonton. In a previous life, you were a restaurant owner, so um, I'm wondering what your experience was with the hardware and software that you used to interface with your customers. Um, you know, it was difficult at best, Karen. Uh, growing yeah. up, my parents had some uh, restaurants as well. They owned a number of Subway uh, chains, and then I got into the restaurant business back in 2011. And it's interesting because the systems are just what you decide to make of them. And so when I when I got into my experience, I assumed that everything would be connected, like my inventory, my cash reports. Um, you know, we we started something, my location was downtown Edmonton. So we decided to do uh, take advance orders and do online ordering so we could stretch out the lunch period. And none of those things seemed to connect. We had to start everything from scratch and we had to verify everything on paper and with our own um offline inputting. So it seemed like everything just took forever and nothing was integrated the way I would have loved. So it was a bit of a nightmare. Plus all of that was before the pandemic. And I suspect that there's even more challenges and changes that restaurant owners are are facing with the, the huge growth in takeout and pickup now. Oh yeah, I bet. I mean, you know, when I walk into restaurants now, I see multiple POS systems, all these extra tablets, things are dinging. And, you know, I, I can't imagine... Uh, what it's like for restaurant owners that are managing all these multiple systems uh, and trying to keep customers happy. So I'm pretty glad I'm not in that mm-hmm. business anymore. <laughs> well, it does seem like restaurants have a lot of problems to solve on the digital front. And it turns out there's a local company called Truffle that has developed some solutions. And it just secured $2.3 million in investment to pursue them further. Taproot broke that story. So I thought, well, let's talk to Mac Mail about what he learned. Hi, Mac. Hi, Karen. Hi, Faiza. Thanks for having me on Bloom. Hey, Mac. Nice to see you. So maybe we'll just kind of start uh, start at the beginning and you can tell us uh, what is Truffle? What do they offer and, and who is it made for? Truffle is a really interesting local food tech company. And we often hear about food tech in Edmonton being on the production side of things, but Truffle's doing something really interesting for restaurants. So their customer is a restaurant or more specifically, you know, a restaurateur or a restaurant group. Their kind of sweet spot is um, restaurant groups that have a couple locations more, or they want to grow to have multiple locations. And what they offer is a suite of modular software tools to help the restaurants manage their business. So point of sale is one of those things. Um, Pickup coordination, pickup order um, receiving and coordination is one of those things. They have modules to work with delivery drivers. So they have these variety of things that support the sort of back end of a restaurant, right? The behind the scenes things that make the restaurant or a series of restaurant locations function. That's pretty cool. Um, and and what can you tell us about the founder? I was very excited to learn that Omer Chaudhry is also a computer science grad uh, from the <laughs> University of Alberta, like myself. Uh, it just goes to show that I suppose software really is eating the world. And if you know how to code, you can go and do any variety of things. Uh, but he got a job not long after school installing point of sale systems for restaurants. So a point of sale system is 
you know, the software and hardware that you interact with when you pay for your food or um, the, the restaurant processes a transaction, maybe it's a delivery order or a pickup order. And he was installing these systems into restaurants. And there's a variety of them. You've probably seen now like the square terminals, which have really taken over those white terminals. Once the iPad and iPhones and things like that became available, point of sale all of a sudden became very interesting. Um, but anyway, while he was installing those things, he learned a lot about the sort of challenges that come along with those things. So here's what he said about uh, those challenges and what led him to launching Truffle. As I was installing these equipments for restaurants, I was seeing a lot of software and I just something just kept bugging me that there's got to be a more cost-effective way to not just track cash, but open more revenue streams. And uh, when, and that that's where, you know, it really enabled me to build Truffle the way it is because I got exposed to pretty much every major software application there was. And then yeah. we looked at the gaps and we built the gap. I love stories about people who see a problem and then go solve it. Um, also, investors love those stories. So who invested in uh, Truffle and why? They do. You're right. Uh, this round into Truffle was led by Accelerate Fund 3 from Yale Town Partners. And they also had some participation from two other investors here, one being Sprout Fund, who you've talked about on the show before, and uh, Birchcliff Partners as well. And I had the opportunity to speak to Arden Che of our Accelerate Fund about what appealed to him about Truffle. And here's what he told me. Being a former restaurant owner, really gave me an appreciation for the value he was bringing and how he was solving a lot of restaurant problems that the incumbents weren't. And I think it was that unique insight that, uh, you know, made me stop and go, this isn't just another point of sale system. He's doing something different. He's riding on a wave that uh, a trend in the industry that a lot of other companies aren't. I guess the, the real point of it is he's helping restaurants do more with less people. Because that's just the reality, right? I mean, you're right, Mac. We have seen all these different point of sale systems in restaurants. I myself have been confused with where to tap my card multiple times. Um, I feel like we should we should get a bonus if we get it right on the first try now. Um, but <laughs> but in your experience or what you learned, what is it that makes Truffle so different from what we've traditionally been seeing in restaurants so far? quickly, if the tap doesn't work and you have to insert the chip, it feels like traveling back in time, doesn't it? <laughs> it really it's, does. It's so strange it really does. when that has to happen. <laughs> there are two key things that I gathered from Omer that really differentiate Truffle from other point of sale systems. So the first and the big one is that you don't have to buy their hardware, which is really interesting. Most other point of sale systems come as sort of a package deal. You have to buy the hardware and the software together. Uh, they offer the software and you can use your existing point of sale hardware, which is really interesting and makes it easier for restaurants who might want to start to use Truffle to onboard that system. Um, the other big difference, of course, is that it's very modular. This is one of the things that Omer explained to uh, myself um, and Dustin Scott, who I should mention is the other Taproot reporter who worked with me on this story. Um, he explained to us that because it's modular, you know, you, the restaurant or the, the business owner doesn't have to go all in. They can take a component of what Truffle offers, start to use that. And if they like it, then they can expand to, you know, some of the other modules that they make available. So those two things, the lack of a hardware requirement and the sort of modular nature of the system that they've built really set them apart from other point of sale systems. It's almost like they're building, like, you know, if I could compare it to anything, it's almost like a Shopify ecosystem where you start with whatever modules you need and you can kind of add on 
as you go or as you grow. Yeah, I really got that sense talking to him. And in fact, one of the things he was talking about was the delivery modules, right? And how if you have multiple uh, locations, you can use their delivery module to coordinate your drivers and your deliveries. And it occurred to both Dustin and I actually when we were reflecting on the story that you know they could build a little bit of a local competitor to some of the other uh, delivery services out there. If there's multiple restaurants, even in different groups, all using Truffle, they've built a little bit of an ecosystem now that um, you can build things around. And that's you know clearly what Shopify has done too with the Shop app and some of the other things that they were able to layer on top of that inroad, which is just getting the software used by a particular business. How does a company that serves restaurants, which have spent the past two years imploding because of a pandemic, like grow to the point where it can uh, get hundreds of customers and attract us investment? This is a good question. I'm sure lots of people are wondering how he did this. As far as I can tell, the the primary thing here is that they've done a great job executing on sales. And it really reinforces, you know, the advice that we often hear in entrepreneurship circles, which is that you've got to focus on the customer and you've got to do the sales. And if you do those things, lots of good things will come out of it. Um, you know, Arden mentioned to, to us that clearly these folks can sell. And that was a, a positive reason. It was one of the reasons why they thought their investment would be a good one, because they're investing in somebody who knows how to go out and get that revenue and bring it in. Another factor, though, I think, is that Truffle, I think, very wisely decided to focus on um, pickup orders in particular, right? So because everybody has started ordering more food digitally uh, because of the pandemic, they turn to apps like Skip the Dishes or Uber Eats or others. And they do that for delivery, but they also have pickup options there. And what he, Omer explained to us is that those restaurants um, you know, lose out on customer data when the customer orders for pickup on, say, skip the dishes, rather than ordering directly from the restaurant where they can capture your name and your email address and maybe save that information in a customer database that they can use in the future. So um, Truffle's module allows them to capture some of that data, which is interesting because now they can do remarketing, which depending on how you feel about it may or may not be a good thing, right? Uh, I personally like getting deals for stuff if I've bought something there before and then the restaurant reaches out and says, hey, we noticed you haven't been in a while. Do you want 10% off? Yeah, I probably do. And and it generated a revenue stream for a restaurant. So that's the other reason I think they were able to grow successfully through the pandemic is that not only are they selling something to restaurants that solves a problem that they have, but they're also opening the door to increasing their revenues, which of course every restaurant was looking to do during the pandemic. For sure. So what what's Omar's long-term vision for this company? Well, he was very clear. He wants to build a unicorn. He wants to turn this into a really, really big uh, you know, organization. And he talked about the scale of the potential market and you know, it's tens of billions of dollars. The number is not so important. We know that food and bev uh, food and beverage is a really big industry, and they work really well with smaller organizations, you know, multiple locations, but not hundreds of locations, though they do have aspirations to also, uh, you know, grow to support larger restaurant groups. Um, if they can figure that out, if they can make the bread and butter work with those smaller groups and then have a few of those tentpole customers, then I think he's got a really good shot at uh, at getting there. Do you think that that's a realistic thing to come out of Edmonton? I mean, it's software. Software unicorns can come from anywhere, right? right. But Omer <laughs> certainly thinks it can, right? And for him, it was really about you know starting with making customers happy. He talked about starting local and growing 
from there. Here's here's what he told us. People don't necessarily think that these type of companies can come out of Edmonton, right? And uh, our our vision and our goal is to focus local first, right? And that's how we grew, right? Organically, the local businesses are who helped us achieve where we're at. And yeah. and and we we re- really genuinely believe that uh, restaurants need way better uh, options uh, to to leverage, especially in this day and age where uh, you know margins they were already slim, but now between oh, make or break, it, there's just like no room for error. So Mac, from Arden's perspective, you know, obviously I can see why he'd be excited about um, the potential of this business, but investors probably hear great pitches all the time. What what do you think uh, the investors are specifically excited about here? And what's what do they see as the upside for Truffle? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I think one of the real key um, factors in his success at bringing on this investment was that he's shown he's able to execute. The team at Truffle has been able to sell this to hundreds of customers through a pandemic, which is really, really impressive, right? It sort of shows the tenacity that they might have and the resourcefulness that they bring to the problem. Um, But Arden also talked about how he was impressed that Omer was coachable, which is an important thing for entrepreneurs, right? They they want to give you money, but they also want to be able to give you advice and guidance. And, And here's what Arden told us about that. You know, I could see that this is a guy that knows how to survive and can handle the pressure. And yeah. so it was good that we had ups and downs throughout raising the round because it really got me to see, you know, there's a few companies in our portfolio that, you know, the round didn't go as smooth as we thought, but I got to really see how the CEO and founder handled it. And Omer, you know, is definitely one of those CEOs that knows how to deal with pressure. So that certainly gave us a lot, a lot of confidence. So Mac, for a lot of people, this is probably the first uh, time they're hearing about Omer Chowdhury. I don't think he is someone that really came up in our local innovation system through through some of the programs that we're used to seeing. Is that fair to say? And what do you think about that? I think that's fair to say. He's not an entrepreneur and Truffle is not a startup that has been through you know, every program that Startup Edmonton or Innovate Edmonton have to offer and that we've been hearing about at pitch competitions for years and things like that. They kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of people, I think, in the innovation ecosystem. And I, I think that matters a little bit, but, you know, big picture, it probably is a, a mostly irrelevant, right? And the the part that matters to me, I think, is it's a good thing that we have entrepreneurs and startups who aren't coming through those uh, organizations who are still able to grow and build um, a viable and, and a successful business. I think that's an encouraging thing. We, we talk about the benefits that starting a business and being located in Edmonton has for an entrepreneur and for a startup. And this illustrates that some of those things really do matter, uh, even if you don't access the programs and services from the uh, the service providers. Um, but I do hope that uh, we can bring him in a little bit to the innovation ecosystem, because one of the great things about somebody like Omer, who's been able to build something like this through a really challenging time, grow it, get some investment, and I, I wish him all the, the success. I hope he continues growing. One of the great things about those folks is that they can be mentors to other people and that they can share their stories, their lessons learned, that kind of thing. So he hasn't been maybe super involved in the ecosystem so far, but maybe now he can be and some other folks in Edmonton and in the region can be inspired by what he's been able to do so far with Truffle. Yeah. And I think uh, it's also interesting that that we haven't really focused a ton on uh, food and beverage and retail because you know, there there is a lot of data that points to the fact that Edmonton 
or the Edmonton region specifically, uh, is a great place for brands to launch restaurant concepts and retail concepts. And we know that in the past, a lot of international brands have chosen to come to Edmonton first uh, as a Canadian launch market. And, you know, there there's some truth for them in that if you can make it in Edmonton, you could make it anywhere in Canada. So there's something special about our demographics when it comes to those specific industries. So I do think that it's great that we have a, um, you know, food and beverage technology coming or a restaurant technology company coming out of Edmonton. But I think um, hopefully that's a signal for for more of those types of businesses to to find some, you know, um, critical mass here because there's obviously some winning formula. Uh, what's next for Treple? What are they going to do with that money? Well, like all startups that raise a couple million bucks, they're going to use it to grow their team and try and grow their customer base. So they are going to be building their team out further here in Edmonton primarily. So they're going to double to about 25 people by the end of the year is what Omer told us. And uh, they're going to try and expand across Canada. So they've already, uh, of course, um, They've already been able to to bring on hundreds of customers. They want to be able to ramp that up even further, really solidify their offering and their market in Canada before they go raise additional funds and look to expand, you know, beyond our borders, perhaps down into the United States. And that would be the next logical step if you wanted to build a unicorn, of course. And thanks for sharing with us. And uh, it's always nice to have you here. And hopefully we'll see you again. Well, in fact, I think we'll keep you around for the second half, Mac, because I got some other stuff I want to ask you about. So, well, sure. before we get to that, we'll we'll take a break uh, to hear from our sponsors, and when we come back, we'll talk about some other news about food innovation. Bloom is brought to you by Innovate Edmonton. Here's part three of Max Chat with Daryl Petras, Director of Business and Community Development at Innovate Edmonton. All right, now we've got a good uh, sense of Startup Edmonton. The next program that you mentioned um, that Innovate offers is Scale Up Edmonton. And in contrast to Startup, which is cohort-based, this one's a little bit different, right? Tell us about Scale Up Edmonton. Absolutely. Scale Up Edmonton is focused on that deep one-to-one expertise. That's how we phrase it anyway. And what I mean by that is when we're talking about talking with um, founders, we're talking uh, with you know, startup teams in general, when they get to the stage where they've had the foundational learning experience through programs like Startup Edmonton offers, they they become sophisticated in recognizing their most uh, their next most immediate challenge, and this could be this could be getting to a milestone that requires regulatory approval. It could be sales, marketing. We've had supply chain challenges as as the next milestone, and of course, raising money. Now, one of the things we hear from the community from time to time, including our founders in the community, is when it comes to support programs, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just give the money to the founders? Mm. Um, And I don't mean to digress too much, but there is something I want to emphasize here. And when pressed a little bit more, the founders often say, well, with that money, we would do X, Y, or Z. X, Y, or Z often, often includes hiring resources, hiring expertise. Now in parallel, Mac, we've heard from others outside the community that in order to build a really successful innovation, set a series of communities within a larger community or ecosystem, we need experts. People have been there, done that. And that, I mean, I've heard that throughout my career. My career is pretty lengthy in the innovation space in Edmonton. So how do we, how do we address some of these challenges? The founders wanting some money so they can go hire resources 
and bringing in expertise. I like to think um, scale-up Edmonton programming, this deep one-to-one support, helps address that. It's not a complete solution. There's always room for improvement within a program. Um, But here we have a program that helps the company select their next temp hire. And what I mean by that, again, going back to the idea that they've identified a milestone they need to achieve to move the company forward, will help them find the expertise they want to hire on a time-limited basis. Unfortunately, we can't, you know, we can't hire people full-time right. to do this, but we match the expert with the project. And we put the decision-making power of choosing that expert in the company's hands. We have a roster of people that they can choose from. Um, however, if a company chooses to or, or prefers to work with somebody not on the roster, they can bring that person to us. If that person has the, the expertise to move the project forward, if they can work for our terms of engagement, and if there's no conflict of interest, for example, that expert's a shareholder, then we can match the two, pair them, and help move the project forward. Now, this is all under the umbrella, of course, within Scale Edmonton, but more specifically under what we call experts on demand. People have asked me in the community, is this coaching? Is it, is it advisory services? What's the difference? I'm not concerned about labels, Mac. What I am concerned about is hiring the right person for the right company at the right time to move them forward. And we've certainly seen some successes with this program. We have an incredible NPS score, um, net promoter score, I should say, of 100 at the moment on this program. And it is almost always oversubscribed. I want to highlight that this program, like much of Startup Edmonton's programming and other programming we offer, wouldn't be possible without the support of Edmonton Regional Innovation Network or more more specifically, Alberta Innovate support. Scale-up sounds like a much more customizable, targeted programming uh, solution for, for startups and for, for scale-ups, I guess, uh, startups who are taking that, that next stage. Can you give us an example of some of the companies that might have benefited from this program? One of the, you know, the purposes we serve in that Experts on Demand program is to help companies raise money if they're if they're at the stage where they actually can raise money and, and they're mature enough to show some traction. And we've recently had a company raise $4 million on a $25 million pre-money valuation. And that was directly attributed to us finding the right coach, the right expert, and placing that expert within the company on a temporary basis. These projects typically are 100 hours and we we help the company yeah. secure funding. Now that's that's a, a bit of an abstract example uh, because we can't name the company or or the expert in that case because of confidentiality provisions. So I'll offer one more example. And again, like when I was talking about startup Edmonton successes in the past, I want to say I'm not picking favorite favorite companies here, but another one is Skedatter. And this is a, a company, Alberta-based company, that is producing a particular repellent to keep rodents and even unwanted domestic animals away from certain areas of a yard, perhaps a garden. And we help them secure a national sales distribution agreement. So very tangible results. And I'm pleased to see you know, this program working like it should and delivering some of that expertise directly to the company to help them help them move forward. Sounds like a really impactful program. And as you say, oversubscribed, always a lot of demand for what Scale-Up Edmonton uh, provides.
This episode of Bloom is also brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner can be hectic, to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time and on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business, and Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. We roped you in this far. Let's keep going uh, and talk about some other innovation in the food space because you pay a lot of attention to that uh, in the course of your work. Um, Alberta Innovates has launched an agri-food and bio-industrial innovation program. What's that all about and why does that matter? This is a continuous intake program from Alberta Innovates. And the idea here is to provide um, researchers and developers with funding for things year round, which is actually something that has been a bit of a discussion in the agriculture research sector in Alberta, that the province has made some changes to how these things are funded. Um, So Alberta Innovates has launched this program to support this kind of innovation. I think it's a good thing because, you know, as much as we talk about software and energy and some of the other kinds of tech, hydrogen gets a lot of attention, right, in Alberta and in Edmonton recently. Agriculture is huge, right? In Alberta, it's a key part of our economy. Invest Alberta says that the ag sector contributes just under $10 billion in GDP to Alberta uh, as recently as 2020. You know, almost 70,000 people in Alberta employed directly, directly in the agriculture industry. So um, it's good to see some investment continue into that, uh, into that sector. And these kinds of programs from Alberta Innovates are really geared toward researchers and developers who are doing things that will make agriculture more productive maybe, might open up new markets, might bring technology that has been developed in other sectors into agriculture to benefit them. And increasingly, we're seeing a focus on how can we make agriculture more sustainable? Because of course, there's a big um, angle to uh, climate change and and meeting our our goals for emissions reductions uh, with agriculture and changes there. Yeah, but you know, not to get on my soapbox, but this is is a topic that kind of gets me going because although you're 100% <laughs> right, Mac, and it is exciting to see um, this kind of funding going towards agriculture, I think we're still we're still creating a really narrow view of what part of agriculture we want to see grow. And, um, you know, this, this $10 billion in GDP is fantastic. But when you look at the numbers between export of primary products and value add, we still don't do enough on the value add side. And that can be you know, we are doing some work, like I know we're making a lot of pea protein and alternatives and cell bio, cellular agriculture and things like that, which is wonderful. But we're missing out a lot on like the consumer packaged goods side, which could arguably add a ton more GDP and way more employment locally, especially as we think about the appetite for, um, for international expansion of those types of companies. So I'm excited to see the funding but I just wish it wasn't so narrow and didn't feel so repetitive to funding that's already available for these types of businesses. Because um, I think at the end of the day, you want to, we need to create a little bit more of a full circle economy when it comes to ag and feels like we're repeating a lot of similar mistakes that we make in energy where we produce a lot of raw product or uncover a lot of raw product and then just sell it off and buy it back uh, at ridiculous prices. So um, 
you know, <laughs> some work still yeah. to do there. And yeah. I'm hoping that we see some more. You're right. I mean, you know this space very, very well, right? It is very similar to energy in a lot of ways and that we do produce, you know, for example, pulses, right? You know this very well. Crazy amounts of pulses compared to other places in the world, but we don't really produce the products that come as a result of those. Um, this funding does seem to be about genetic yield improvement, you know, inputs to production. So it's not the kind of thing that you're looking for, but hopefully... Um, we can see some success in this program and additional future programs might be geared more toward that value added uh, product development. Yeah, it's it's almost like we focus a lot on optimizing supply uh, instead of increasing demand. And if we can get those both yeah. right and get both of those moving in the same direction, you know, that would obviously be exponentially better. I think policy wise, some of those changes might be coming your way, although I'm not sure. Uh, the province was touting some uh, investment that it made in food processing, but that really does seem to be about like attracting big companies here to do that value add stuff. And then the NDP also issued a policy statement uh, last or within the last week about um, what they want to do to attract more food processing. So. I don't know, maybe, maybe they're getting there. Uh, kind of on the same track, there's just amazing tech advancements in agriculture. This is not your grandpa's farm anymore uh, in a lot of places. And uh, I knew that they had like high-tech tractors and stuff, but I didn't know that drones were starting to catch on. And there's an Edmonton company that's apparently making that possible, Mac. This is a story that Alberta Farmer expressed it a few weeks ago about Landview Drones, an Edmonton-based company that has seen a lot of interest and use from farmers for drones. So obviously the technology with drones has increased dramatically over the last number of years, both the software for these things that makes it possible for them to do more things and to solve more problems, but also just the hardware quality. The, the sort of zooms that you get on these cameras now are, is so good that farmers can use it to you know, basically get a bird's eye view of their land. They can use it to, to find where their herds are, if there may be cattle farms, they can use it to see where precipitation has pooled, things like that. Um, they can kind of map out their land and, and use that to make better decisions that will um, hopefully improve their yields and make it possible for them to to be more efficient and capture more value from their from their land. And these are things that maybe were possible in the past, but were quite inaccessible. And the promise of drones, I think, in lots of different industries is that it makes this sort of technology much more accessible. The cost is significantly lower than it would have been in the past so that farmers can start to use these things uh, realistically without, you know, having to mortgage the whole farm again. <laughs> so many farmers that I know have a framed picture in their house of an aerial view of their farm, which they paid a photographer to go up in an airplane to get. And so it's right. cool, but not actionable information. So it's so interesting to hear that it's it's a DIY thing now. Right. And it's, you know, with drones on a farm, there's not other tall buildings around. You don't have to worry about the drone falling on people. You know, it's it seems like a really great location to use these things. So they can get photos of their farm as well as actionable information. Yeah, we talk a lot about uh, sustainability as well and how we can kind of improve that on farms. And I know there's another company, the name escapes me right now, but they were doing something similar um, uh, with their own, you know, more large scale drones about seeing, you know, how you can how you can be more accurate with 
the pesticides that you're needing to spray and which ones for which plants. And I think they were using some sort of uh, imaging, some sort of high level imaging, but to make this more accessible now and even potentially some shareable information. I don't know if like that's something that these guys are maybe considering, but you know, a lot of uh, farmers share equipment or they share, you know, certain pieces of data. This would be maybe something else that's interesting to share and, and start to map out. But it's really cool because, you know, it does make, it does make our land that much more valuable. Interesting. And in the food roundup this week, we curated a story about Cultivator, which is an online farmer's market from Calgary that is expanded to Edmonton. I guess this is kind of innovation on the distribution end of things. What do you make of that, Mac? Well, I feel like I've been pretty positive about all the news we've talked about so far and much less <laughs> positive about this one. Uh, maybe this is the most Edmonton, Edmonton thing you can do is start an <laughs> online food marketplace after the pandemic. I feel like they're... You know, the the graveyard of software startups is littered with companies that have tried to create an online food marketplace like this. So I don't obviously wish any ill will toward the folks behind Cultivator. I hope they're able to succeed at what they want to do, but I don't see the demand or the need for this. I don't see the problem that they are solving. It is so difficult to get most Albertans to go to a farmer's market in the first place that I don't see how a really restrictive online, you know, you got to be organic food marketplace, yet another thing you have to get them to go to is going to do anything to solve that problem. And it contributes to this larger problem that I think faces uh, vendors at farmers markets, which is that they are, you know, stretched really thin. They might already serve multiple in-person markets. They might already be part of some online marketplaces or delivery services like Spud. You know, here's yet another one that uh, they might want to be involved in. And I get that they might want to, you know, see if there's an audience there. Maybe they can attract customers that they can't somewhere else. That would be the appeal. I don't think that's realistic. I think what they're doing is cannibalizing their own audience, right? That it's the same people that try all of these things out and some of them stick and most of them don't. Do you have any other thoughts about that, Faisa? Not really. I mean, Mac, I, I do agree with you. I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of problems to solve in food. Uh, production and distribution and this doesn't seem like the one to start with um yeah you know it's i'm interested to see how it goes but i can't see i personally don't see myself or anyone that i know using this um but that's not to say that i'm everybody there's a ton of people that are, are are maybe likely to but yeah i think i'm also pessimistic about these things because the problem is so hard right what they're doing is connecting suppliers with um, consumers and they're doing these food deliveries and cultivator says one of its key things is that it's just in time the idea is that you place an order for tomatoes then they get picked and then they get delivered to you and i just feel like if amazon can't figure that out why is some local company going to be able to figure that out maybe that's a horrible thing to say as someone who's a supporter of the local ecosystem but food delivery has eaten up billions and billions of dollars in venture capital over the last 20 or 30 years. And nobody, nobody has figured this problem out. So I come at it from a pretty pessimistic point of view, given that history. A lot of the millions that are going into food delivery have, have like evaporated too, as the market has gone down. I was listening to a podcast about that this morning, where so many of these just-in-time places on a much bigger scale than cultivators working on are uh, just letting people go and and piv trying to pivot into something else 
I also wonder like with, with all of this just in time delivery and like you said, Max, so many of these restrictions on the food that is sold uh, on these platforms, is that even possible on the production side? Like maybe it's actually not efficient to grow and pick food that way. Um, even, you know, even the way that the term organic is regulated, there is problematic. You know, there's a lot of farmers that you'll talk to that say GMO products are actually better for us than non-GMO in some cases, depending on what um, that modification is and how it contributes to the evolution of the crop. So I wonder if the problem is, you know, maybe on the demand side, but also on the supply side, if that's not the way those businesses work, then it doesn't matter how good the software is. It's, it's never really working in the way it needs to because it doesn't match the supplier. Yeah, it's a great point. There's a reason farmers markets tend to run Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? It's organized around the schedule of the farms and the suppliers, the, you know, the producers. So I think that is a good point that no matter what kind of machine learning algorithm you put in front of it from the consumer point of view, if it doesn't mesh with the reality of the farm, then it's probably not going to help you. Yeah. Plus I'm, I'm a bit of an old lady. I still like looking at my produce. I don't even, <laughs> much to everyone's chagrin, I don't even use click and collect because I don't like the fact that somebody else is picking out my produce. I want to see it. I don't know what size to pick. Like, I don't know. I just want to be inspired when I go to the grocery store. Oh, well, there, there you have it. Faiza needs to squeeze it before she knows if she wants to buy it. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll link to these stories in the show notes. And uh, you should subscribe to Taproot's excellent food roundup because uh, we cover uh, the local food and agriculture beat very deeply. And I'll help you out. Well, that's it for this week. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss upcoming episodes of Bloom. And if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Bloom is produced by Tapper Edmonton with editing by Castria and Scott Lilwall this week. Our music is by Dave Beaker and our cover art is by Vicky Wersitsky. Bye.